Fiore Screnci, and I'm coach at the uh, New York Athletic Club in New York. This is Chris Williams, coach for Boston Rugby Football Club in Boston. And this is Paul Keeler with San Francisco Golden Gate Rugby Club, and you're on Rugger Matrix USA. Thanks, gentlemen. Three clubs represented. We just miss out on the live team tonight, but we'll catch them next time around. Hello, I'm your host, Juro Sen of Rugger Matrix USA, episode 21, Semi Showdown. No Bruce McLean tonight. We'll explain why in just a moment. This, a comprehensive look at the semi-finals of the Super League. Yes, hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix USA, episode 21. Unfortunately, not with my good friend Bruce McLean from New York City tonight uh, because of uh, the tragic uh, passing of his good friend, Tommy Regan. And uh, Bruce, our thoughts are with you tonight, as is the whole American rugby community with you and Tommy's family and he'll be sorely missed. So, Bruce, we will carry on without you tonight. Tonight is a special semi-final preview. We have three of the four semi-finalists involved. Unfortunately, the lines to Atlanta aren't working for us tonight. As you heard in the introduction, we are represented by uh, Boston, uh, New York, and, of course, San Francisco Golden Gate. Let's start in the West, where things are going pretty well as a result of the weekend. Good day, Paul. Oh, thanks, Joe. And from uh, Boston, Chris Williams, thanks for joining us tonight. Not a problem, Joe. Happy to be on. And Fiori Screnchy, thank you for joining us from New York. Big shoes to fill because they're Bruce McLean's. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. Thanks for having <laughs> us. All right. Well, let's just go quickly through the results of the weekend. And, uh, well, some big ones, but a couple of tight ones. So, Nyack, pretty... Uh, I guess uh, scary at times there, Fiori, but you got up uh, 38-29 against Old Puget Sound. And, uh, you know, Bruce was saying to me on email that um, it was a good game, but uh, you didn't have it all your own way. Well, I, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted that we would have been down 14-0 uh, uh, in the first uh, few minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't say there was a little bit of a panic there, but we were, you know, you're, you're worried because you're down 14 uh, 14-0, but we just, you know, we started chipping away as usual and then, you know, brought the, brought the game to where, you know, we finished, so. Well, good result. You had to get there and that's what you've done. You've had a couple of tight ones in a row. So you'll be meeting Boston in that semi-final at home and Chris right. Chris Williams, uh, 28 points to nil, win over Denver. Everyone's saying it's a good upset uh, and, and to travel away and do that against Denver is a pretty good effort. Yeah, I, I feel that that certainly was, uh, you know, as we're looking at the game and, and uh, figuring out what we had to do, we, we're thinking about Denver, thinking about the altitude, thinking about the team that they were going to have out there. And um, so we knew we had our work cut out for us. Um, and it was just a matter of uh, defending. We, we talked the whole week beforehand. If, the, if we don't give up any points, we're, we're going to give ourselves a good chance to be in that game, uh, despite the conditions and the travel and the altitude and, the, and the, there was some bad weather and some venue changes and so forth. Um, but I think kind of the, the boys just stuck it in there as far as the defense went, and we were down a man uh, for most of the game and, and down two men as well towards the end. We had a yellow card as well, and we, we actually managed to score. Um, uh, stole a line out and drove them all in uh, with six forwards there. So uh, I think we were uh, you know kind of 
kind of put the uh, the, the effort of the week kind of into perspective. <laughs> there, we worked hard on it and uh, and we were able to come up with the victory. So yeah. we're very happy. Yeah, you certainly made it hard for yourself, but you got there and a, and a great win in the end. Uh, the other quarterfinals, we haven't got it live on tonight, but we will talk about them. And uh, live fifty six ten defeating Chicago Griffins. An absolute pasting there. So life to take on San Francisco Golden Gate. Paul Keeler, you defeated Old Blue 62-15. Really, was it a walk in the park? They did have their troubles, though, Old Blue, just getting to the game. Yeah, they, they struggled with uh, their flight was cancelled on Friday. Um, so they, they had their travel agent, who actually does our travel, had to scramble and get 25 new tickets. And then one of the planes had mechanical problems so a couple of players didn't show up till about an hour and a half before the match um and you know you got to give them credit because they really did come out and play and they they were able to defend us pretty well on the backs but um we just really took it to them around the fringes of the rucks and that's where we were able to get our line breaks from and 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 just keep the keep the pressure on them and keep them trying to make tackles and and uh, just went our way pretty pretty quickly and uh we were able to sustain it so are these the four semi-final teams you're expected i'll start with you again uh paul oh uh, they uh, everybody um i expected all the teams i i sort of called uh, i knew i had a feeling boston would take denver and i thought the uh seattle uh old Puget sound team would give nyack more trouble than uh than they probably expected, and if it makes you feel any better, Fury, they went 14 points up on us pretty quickly too, and we were shaking our heads during the regular season. But uh, once you sort of get a handle on what they're trying to do, you can you can adjust and recover. And uh, I think the, it causes confusion for their from from Seattle's part. Once you shut them down, well, what next? Um, so I think all the teams that we see now are probably pretty much what everyone expected and now it's just a matter of will there be any surprises this weekend well i'm going to ask you about the boston result uh, the fact that uh, they were able to dispatch denver in such style given all the dramas they had on the day as well um, you must be impressed with that and particularly the, the the determination they show heading into the final four. Oh, absolutely i uh, you know um obviously gene mountjoy is a good friend of mine and uh, very happy for the club. And I know, I know a number of the players there and have coached some of them in the past. Uh, I just feel that, you know, going into it, they, they probably wanted it more than Denver. And Denver seemed to be struggling with injuries and, and being consistent uh, as far as their, their selections. And they probably had a huge uh, toll throughout the season. They just they were rotating who was playing 9 and 10. And, and uh, I think... Come playoff time, you, you, there's only so much rotation you can do in this short of a season. If you don't start to get your combinations right, you're gonna you're gonna start to have problems. And I, you look at Boston and week in week out, the same team is out on the field. They're playing, they're giving uh, really good competition against the likes of Nyack and Life. And to go out and play a, a team like Denver, who, like I said, hasn't hadn't found their rhythm, you know, uh, it's sort of what I expected. Chris, is, uh, what's what's your um, post-game analysis been like as you look forward to uh, your semi-final against Nyack? 
Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, you can't argue with the defensive effort, and I'll go to that again. You know, if we can duplicate that, we feel like we, you know, we can give ourselves a chance to uh, to, to be in any game. Uh, and it's just uh, kind of a matter of, uh, matter of you know, trusting uh, the teammates um, and the patterns that we're going to run on the defensive end and then just playing smart rugby. And when, when we're able to do that, um, obviously we have Dave Delcourt, who's the leading Super League scorer without scoring a try this year. He's just been uh, been uh, amazing uh, with penalties and conversions. So um, we can play a tactical game. Uh, we can play a smart game. Uh, and if we're able to execute that, we can uh, put ourselves in positions where Dave can kind of punish teams uh, you know, for, uh, for their infractions, especially at the breakdown. If we can... Um, continue to, to try to work really hard at the breakdown and, and kind of steal some ball and secure our own ball, we can, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, cause some penalties that Dave can convert on. So I think that, you know, that's kind of the basis of what we've been doing the past, uh, you know, ever since that life game, we've just been kind of building up a bit, uh, improving a bit. Um, and I think that, you know, that's what we kind of you know, want to continue to do as a basis for, uh, for what we think we need to do to win. So we'll, you know, we'll be trying to do the same thing as well. Fiori, uh, if- if you look at NIAC, the New York Athletic Club has had a couple of really tough games in a row. You've really had to work hard. Is that starting to take its toll? Are you going to be fresh enough to take on this game, the semi, and the final if you get through? tell you the truth, actually, uh, the, uh, the team uh, is, is pretty fresh right now. We've, uh, most of our injuries, if not all of them, have, uh, are all ready to go uh, this, this coming Saturday. And I think that the, uh, our team is about to peak when it's supposed to. Um, we were hit and miss a few times. I think that, you know, we had good games. Uh, we weren't always as consistent as we should have been. Um, the good news is that I, I think our type of play uh, depends about a little bit on everyone. In fact, if you go look at our scores, uh, one player that scored more than one try, it's been across the board. So. Does the distance take its toll with these flights, particularly because a lot of these guys have got to work and uh, and still turn up and play? I'll start with you first, Paul. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of the, the the tougher things about it. I think Bruce and I had talked about it the last time uh, I was on. It, the teams that are more organized off the field and, and prepare properly and can get players off from work and give them as much advance notice as possible, you're going you're, you're gonna to be successful when you go on these away trips and, and it's uh, you know, it's a huge home field advantage, especially when you're flying uh, across the country. It's not so bad coming West, but for a West coast team going East, it, 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 uh, it can really, you know, mess up your clock. Um, it's, it's, it's just difficult. Definitely. So um, bearing that in mind, your, your trip from Boston to Denver, Chris is a tough one. And not only that, you're going to altitude. So, um, where does it sit in the in the difficulty stakes in the Super League? Uh, I mean, we we definitely focused on altitude uh, on top of just the, the regular travel. I think um, Gene's done a great job of kind of structuring our trips um, so that you know every kind of you know minute almost it seems is, is planned out. So there's no uh, no unexpected you know developments on a on a road trip. Uh, but then you throw the altitude in and. Um, the way the schedule worked out, I think we were somewhat lucky that you know they had the bye week before the playoffs, and we knew we were going to Denver, and so we had two weeks to work on you know some altitude-related uh, things at training and uh, outside of training, and then um, regarding the, the travel directly, we decided to take um, 
you know, a late night flight Friday night into Denver. We, uh, you know, the, the game time was 5 p.m. Denver time. So, um, you know, one of the theories with the altitude was that the later you arrive there, the better. If you're not going to be staying there for four or five days, and obviously, you know, you know, the Super League, you know, players with work, as you mentioned, we're just not able to get out there three or four or five days early. So, uh, we decided to structure the trip so that you know we got in pretty late. Denver time within about an 18 to 24 hour window, which is what they were kind of recommending for um, the altitude. And, and so that definitely played a part in our, in our planning as well. Um, so between kind of the, the logistical preparation and the, kind of the players' individual preparation and the training, we felt like we were going about that altitude, you know, issue the right way. Are you all easing off on the workload at the moment? Or are you still just tweaking the fitness? Start with you, uh, Fiore. Um. We um, we actually work our fitness into uh, um, our, our 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 regular training. We don't do uh, normally a particular fitness. We leave that up to the uh, to the individual players to uh, to either work on. We pra- we train on Mondays and Thursdays, and usually on on Tuesdays it's up to the guys and Wednesday also to uh, to train on their own own to do physical fitness. So we work in our our fitness. We use the full field, and uh, that's how we take care of our fitness. Yeah, how are you feeling, Paul, with uh, San Francisco at the moment, the fitness stakes? Uh, I think fitness, we, we, we approach it probably similar to NIAC. And, you know, uh, for us, Tuesdays is, uh, consists of some sort of modified touch rugby for about uh, an hour. And uh, Everyone loves that. Everyone loves yeah. a bit of touch rugby. Yeah, no, I think um, something the, that... <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. especially the front rowers, because it's their <laughs> chance to shine. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely, and and we just get you know we try to get some scrums in. At this point, you know we're trying to only practice for about an hour, so we're only you know an hour, um, including a warm up. You know you can't really at this point in the season do too much more than that. The players are uh, yeah, you're somewhat bored at this point, <laughs> uh, especially for us. I mean we started training back in December, so at this point if if we're really working on systems and. and and all that sort of stuff, or fitness for that matter, then we we have a big problem. I'll tell you, um, Paul, it's probably worth speaking to some of the Super 14 coaches, particularly from South Africa, how they handle travel, uh, because they were the easy beats of the competition for a long time. But in the last three or four, even five years, they've been able to overcome what is the most arduous travel regime in world sport, as far as I'm concerned, because mm. they travel east, halfway around the world, and for four or five weeks, they have to perform. And the teams like the Stormers and the Bulls have been doing that. And they've been able to manage the workload. So to fly from Joburg or Cape Town to Sydney, uh, then off to uh, the far-flung regions of southern parts of New Zealand, is pretty tough to go east. And as you mentioned, east is the hard way to go. But they also have altitude to deal with as well on the high felt. So there's, some, there's a lot of great data that comes out of the Sanzar countries that you know, would be worth looking at uh, on, on a level for the States as well. Oh, definitely. When I, you know, I had a really lucky opportunity two years ago, I coached the Pacific Grizzlies, which is the uh, Western, you know, West Coast all-star team against the New Zealand Heartland uh, all-star team. And they were, they were managed by um, Tony Thorpe from the Crusaders. So I had a great opportunity to sit with him for, you know, good couple of hours uh, while they, uh, they trained after we had played them and just talked basically about management because in the Super League, it's a little different for someone like me. I'm not just the head coach or the director of rugby. I'm also the manager to a degree. 
And uh, so you spend a lot of time trying to make sure those bits and pieces are right. And uh, it was a huge resource to sit and speak with him and just about different things. Like he gave me a lot of information, things I, I didn't know what a run sheet was, you know. <laughs> and then and then he goes, he comes to me before our match, you know, the day before, two days before, and says, where's the run sheet? And I had no idea what he was talking about. And I just said, oh, yeah, I'll get that to you. And then I had to scramble around and try to find out what that was first. Um <laughs> And uh, so it was. It was. It was huge, and the opportunity to you know to talk with him about all that stuff. I think definitely, it's rubbed off uh, at least at our club. And Fiore, I just want to know from you what, what do you think uh, has happened at New York Athletic Club um, in terms of the uh, breakdown interpretation of? Well, I, I think at the uh, at the beginning of the season there was uh, a lot more. Uh, it was a lot more of an issue, uh, and for the first couple of games and working out things with the uh, the refs and. And interpreting the uh, you know, the regulations the way uh, they you know they want to see them uh, or met on the fields and I think after that we 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 pretty much adjusted and the and, and the players adjusted to it but it, it it took a while you know and you got there's some give and take between you know the players and the refs and the coaches and stuff but you know, I think they they they're pretty much ironed out now. Chris, what about uh, what about you and and Boston? Uh, I I. Definitely echo Fiore's uh, sentiment there. We, we struggled actually pretty mightily uh, in our preseason games. We uh, had a preseason game against the uh, Wolfhounds up in Boston that uh, was just a penalty fest, and then um, Fort Lauderdale as well. And then our first couple of games of the Super League season, we were probably the uh, most penalized uh, team in the in the league. I would probably throw that out there, and um, and I think that it definitely affected us in, in our results, especially when you know, as I said, we're trying to play kind of a smart position positional game. Um, to be giving up so many penalties and kind of, um, you know, having the frustration there of, of not quite grasping what, what was uh, what was uh, now being called. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, certainly we had a bye week early on in the season, uh, the Easter, Easter bye week, and I think we really used that and kind of started to build a little bit off of that um, and improving in that. And I think we've definitely, um, you know, doing much better now, kind of um, uh, penalty count is down and we're actually able to uh, – retain our aggressiveness in the breakdowns even on the defensive end um, at this point in time because I think we feel more confident about what, what we're doing there and how we're uh, kind of following the, the laws now. What about you, Paul? Well, I, I think you see the impact. I mean, we've seen it in the fact that we get much quicker rucks. Um, and I and I think it does, you know, for a team like us, you know, an attacking team, um, we like it. We think that it's been a, a good improvement and and I think the the aspect that that's come with it in the last couple of years is that a dialogue has opened up between coaches and referees, which I think in the past didn't exist. So, I, alongside with the rule change, is the ability on the part of the the referees who are successful in the league um, and who are being rated higher are actually the the referees who have a management style that after the game they actually seek out some input from the coaches and and their thoughts. Um, and uh, I think that's what what's really helped the league um, more than any rule changes is the fact that you can now approach a referee after the game and go, you know, here are my issues, and I don't understand what why you were calling this one way or the other. And as long as they set their their expectations early, I, I really haven't seen an issue um, this year as far as you know any ref. We haven't had any referee who was poor. 
there's been, you know, you can have issues with the way a referee is going to call certain aspects, but, um, and I think following the Super 14 standard, because the season runs along with ours, you're able to watch the games and the referees are watching the games and you could say, why aren't you calling it that way? Here's a, here's a game to watch and you could see how hmm. it should be called. And I, I, that's the, for us, that's the, I think, the impact. So Super League uh, 2010 to be decided in the next few weeks. Gentlemen, I wanted to talk to you about um, the Eagles um, before we wind up the show. And We had Eddie O'Sullivan on last week, and uh, we talked about the ARC as well. Uh, not the Australian version of it, but the American version of it. And, and a number of other things about the squads and, uh, and the Super League players themselves. Uh, are you happy as a group that... Um, that the American uh, coaching setup is, is paying enough attention to the Super League. I'll, I'll go back to you, Paul, first. I, I think I think they're paying attention. If I was going to express uh, some sort of reservation, is that, and I've said this before in in other forums, there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of dialogue. If you look at the New Zealand setup, they uh, they do get together once uh once twice three times a year with with the all black coaches and you get a feel for what they're looking for um and uh and there's an interaction where if a player is up and coming and being developed uh, at least there's an appearance of a dialogue i'm not exactly sure how how uh robbie deans does it in australia but i would imagine that in a similar situation no he gets around he gets around all yeah, the time you would think and i just that's the one thing that i just don't i don't necessarily feel like there's a uh a communication and, and a working, you know, spirit of working together. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to blame anyone for anything. Um, but I just feel, and it's, and it's been, it's been that way in America for probably about as long as I've, I've been uh, around, definitely as long as I've been coaching that you just don't have that, that sense of, Hey, we're looking at this player who's with you, but he needs to work on X, Y, and Z. Can you do that? Can you help us? you know, and help yourself in the same spirit of things. And that's the one thing I, I think that if we're ever going to improve, it's a club-based system. And if and if the clubs aren't a part of the solution, there are always going to be clashes and problems between the two. Well, you want the Super League to have some worth, don't you? I mean, other than producing a competition for your clubs, it's it's pushing to the Eagles with a legitimate purpose. Absolutely. If, if we don't value our competitions, then who's going to? It may not be the greatest competition. I understand more than anyone, you know, where it falls short. And, you know, would money solve that? Would would better coaching solve that? A lot of things could, could solve it. But at the, at, at the end of the day, it is the best competition we have. And we have to respect our best competition. Because um, if we don't, we do so at our own peril. And and you, you continue to have, you know, sort of uh, disunity. Chris, do you feel that your players are playing for the Eagles? Yeah, I, actually, that, that I, you know, not to get into an East versus West type of a thing, but that's kind of a, you know, the vogue in American rugby sometimes. Um, you know, for, for years I feel like, um, you know, players here – you know, on the East Coast and in, in Boston, you had a, you had a couple of old blue players and Nike players from time to time make the, make the pool, make the squad. But um, players up up here in, in Boston and in the New England area just didn't feel like they um, 
they really ever had a chance and were getting looked at. And uh, obviously, part of that goes you know goes to the success of the, of the, the teams through uh, the last couple of years. But um, but we you know we'd like to think that our players have uh, as as good of a shot uh, as uh, as anyone else anywhere else um, to. Uh, to, to be looked at and to have a have a fair shot, I think that's getting better. You know, we had um, you know three players named to the uh, to the first Eagle Player Pool, um, and so uh, in, in that sense, the, you know, Paul's point about unity and the and the value of the league. You know, players sacrifice a lot to play Super League. You know, traveling long distances. Um, you know, uh, choosing to leave a team that they had you know, started up with, uh, in, in the rugby career. And you just like to think that those sacrifices get rewarded and that, uh, and that in the league as a whole kind of, um, you know, you, you don't have to see these, uh, these, um, you know, this, uh, migration of, of good players in the East to Western teams just, um, so they feel like they'll have a shot at being looked at, uh, which I think may have, uh, might've happened in the past. So I think we're definitely getting to more of a, an even playing field. I think that's better for the league if, you know, if, uh, you know, all the teams, all the players, and all the teams feel like they have an equal shot at at getting looked at, and I think uh, you know, I, th- I feel like we're definitely improving in in that regard at the at the very least. So, is that the feeling at Nyack, uh, Fury? I I actually wanted to uh, to um, to back up with uh, what Paul was saying, the fact that the information that we get uh, sometimes from USA Rugby, you know, and the the Eagles group in general, is kind of like either trickles down through the. Uh, the players that are in the pool, uh, like we have a few Eagles on our side, and we get some information that comes down, and or sometimes you know there's a, there might be an occasional uh, coach that comes to the field, and we'll chat about it, and you know each I think each um, each team has its own specific personality and the way they play and and technique, and for instance, you know my specialty would be more uh, in the scrum, and I played in Italy for 17 years, so. I bring a certain something to the scrum that maybe another coach doesn't or does it a different way. And sometimes you hesitate um, coaching a player in a particular fashion because then he goes back to the Eagles and that's not the way they want it done. So I do agree that maybe we should do uh, an occasional uh, get-together in a field, in a classroom, wherever, and come to a, a specific agreement how certain things are should be done. So this way... There's, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I, I just think that things would progress much better for the future. I mean, if you want pool to, to grow, you have to have a, a common scope. You know, not everybody has to, everybody has to be on the same page, let's say. That is true. And uh, having been involved in a number of conferences uh, in uh, the Southern Hemisphere, uh, the best way for the provinces and the national teams to move forward is to have some sort of get-together and have a common theme. Diversity is good for, say, uh, provincial rugby, Queensland playing their way, the Waratahs playing their way, and bringing those together in, say, a a strong Wallaby outfit. But you do have to have common threads throughout the nation to to ensure success down the track, because if you're fractured, you're really sort of um, not really pushing uh, forward in the right way. Wouldn't you agree, Paul? I definitely agree. Um, Yeah. You need, I mean, the one thing I think, when you think about rugby in different countries, for good or for bad, you can think about England and go, well, they tend to put the ball down on the other end and maul, okay? Maybe those are two things you put on them. And when you look at the Wallabies, you say, hey, you think running rugby. When you think of the, the you know, the Kiwis, you think of an open, expansive game with, uh, 
Yeah, in the past, maybe they played from ruck to ruck, and and they used rucking as a, a form of of uh, advancing play and and maintaining continuity and looking towards rucks and working through phases. And you could look at all these different teams and and say that. But with the United States, you really can't say what our style is. You really, you know, you could say, oh, you know, they're tough on defense or something. You know, we don't really have a particular style. And that's, I think, for me as an as an American, as someone who's you know played here his whole life and is coaching here, um, I think that's one of the things that lacks. We don't have sort of that identity of what are we trying to do. And uh, I think that would come with that meeting and, and figuring out, hey, here's how we want to play. These are the core skills, you know, that we want to concentrate on. Whatever that may be, come to some sort of agreement, and and really push that. And and I think that's what. I think that's where we're at now, and it needs to happen. As uh, coaches of clubs in the U.S., are you gentlemen happy to see one of your players be scooped up by a foreign club in, say, Super Rugby or in the Guinness Premiership, Magnus League, or Top 14 for that matter? Fiori, I'll start with you, obviously with the Italian background. Um, it, it happens all over the world, and I think if you, if you, you want a player to grow uh, both for the club and internationally, you, you need that experience outside your club and I think sometimes outside your country. I mean, even look at, you know, again, I'm, you know, having played in Italy, you look at the Italian national team, I think there's about 65% of the players play outside of the country, either in France or in other countries. And, and it's just the way it is. And you just acquire a lot more experience and exposure that a lot of times you don't with your own club in your own country. And, and I think especially for the U.S., um, while the competition is still good competition, it's not as good as other, you know, comp- uh, other other competition that you find in other countries, as Paul said, you know, Australia, Wales, England, France, wherever, you know, and, and it's good for them. What about you, Chris? I mean, you, you certainly never want to be in the position where um, you feel like you're holding one of your players back and uh you know certainly i think in a, in a player-centric kind of a system like the super league where i think you talked about the the sacrifices that, that players have to make and uh you know their full-time jobs and everything else um you know you you, you really have to be be uh be supportive of of, of any kind of development uh, in a rugby scene as fury mentioned you know the, the american game's got a way to go we're working on it but uh, those experiences they can get you know, and other places are uh, are so invaluable that you, you always want to support that and um, and, uh, and and let those players let those players um, you know find find what uh, what they need, and then hopefully uh, come back and, and and be stronger for it and help the club for it. So yeah, we, we would definitely be a kind of a supportive of the player and whatever they're trying to do. Yeah, Paul, do you look at it as a bit of a wrap? I guess endorsement of your program if your player gets swooped upon by a foreign enterprise you know we would be ecstatic if a, if a player was scooped up and put on a contract or or look you know looked at well by a, a club in the a division one sydney competition or down in christchurch a number of places where we sent players our only concern i guess uh you know to look at it from from a different point of view is uh we, we're always concerned about what our our players because uh, players who come through our club, we care about their development and where they're going. What what we uh, 
you know, what we want to see is when a player goes overseas that he's looked after, he's playing at a high level, and that it's good for him. And uh, we, we, we try to work with all our players and make sure that they're not into a situation where they're not going to play the position they want, that, that they're not being looked after. Um, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to go. If you're going to go and play in, you know, the Division Two competition, uh, you know, in, in Auckland, well, you're probably better off staying here, if, if, especially if you're flying yourself over. And if it's about improving your rugby, it's probably not the best interest. If it's about getting out and seeing the world and using rugby as a vehicle, by all means, go. Yeah, it's uh, not all the competitions are suitable, and uh, you, you want to see the, the Super League grow, don't you? And you want these players to come back and, and give back, and, and a number of people we've spoken to on this very program have indicated that as well, and they have done that. Oh, absolutely. You know, too often, you know, players do go overseas and then retire overseas, and and it's it's, it's somewhat difficult to come back and coach. You have to be one of the sort of the lucky ones to be able to do that. What about a transfer system like in soccer where the club that the player comes from gets remunerated for that player's, the loss of that player? It's been talked about a lot uh, in Southern Hemisphere circles over the years. Not so much recently, but it, it certainly would be handy, even if you're picking up a few grand for a player. It certainly, certainly may be a good way to help the clubs that nurture the talent. What do you think, Paul? Firstly, with you, well, I think uh, I think you're you know you're probably onto something there. I think something that might work a little better if you looked at uh, Super 14 franchises or or even you know provincial franchises, New Zealand and, and Australia, and they had committed ties and relations with with clubs in America, top clubs in America, where they could send players. Especially if you look at like the MPC, you have an MPC player who could play Super League, and then he's fit and ready to go once the MPC starts. And then if there's a an American Super League player, he can go and play there because right now there's just no money to have a, a, a professional competition, and by no money there's there's not enough fans to to make it a, a worthwhile uh, investment, you know, for anybody who, who had the money and was willing to put it up. So I think something like that could work if if. If clubs had, you know, given ties and relationships where you could develop coaching and and players and and sort of have that transfer system, where even if we weren't getting money, but we were getting some of that knowledge and the ability to improve and 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 maybe players that are coming off injury during our season, I think it could be a fantastic way to to grow the game. Chris, what about um, the expansion of Super Rugby to fifteen teams next year and more games means bigger squads. And uh, there is dispensation for teams to use foreign players. Are you, are you seeing that as a possibility to get more American talent exposed at a higher level? And, and, as, and aside from that, the uh, imminent introduction of Argentina is also a game changer in tri-nations, which will be four nations down under, and then followed by them hopefully being introduced into a super rugby competition. Obviously, anything that opens the game up more uh, and gives more opportunities to players throughout the world is going to be, I just see that as a positive. Um, you know, the more uh, you can um, you, you can expose rugby, different levels, higher levels of rugby to different places, um, you know, the, the better the game will be. And, and obviously in America, you're hoping, you're hoping to, uh, uh, you know, between the Olympics and, and we already see some of the, uh, 
some of the effects of, of the opening of, of the uh, the the game to the uh, greater population because of the Olympics. You know, you, you wanna you wanna try to take advantage of that, and um, and certainly, you know, you talk about more games. I think that's certainly something that in the Super League, I think as uh, you know, I, most most teams would probably agree that we'd love to have more games here as well. So uh, you know, the the more people involved, the more games there are involved at higher levels. I think it's just better for the game uh, game as a whole. And uh, one guy who's doing a lot to promote American rugby is uh, Zina Gwenya with uh, Biarritz uh, uh, Fiore. He's, um, he's been known as, oh, that American winger guy uh, because of his efforts. But I guess it's, it's good to see that uh, he's continuing to spread the word with his fantastic efforts on the wing. There, there is, a, um, I guess, a substantial amount of American talent that can play abroad. Um, and and I, and I think that there are teams abroad that uh, look forward to having American players because of of um, I, I think we play tough rugby and an open rugby and there's certain players that you know fit in, in that category abroad. I, I just wanted to expand on the uh, also on the on the uh, on the issue that you mentioned before about uh, being remunerated for uh, a possible player going abroad. I think that. It actually might not be a, a bad idea because if you take into consideration the fact that if you have a good player and he has the capabilities of playing uh, in a you know in a, in a potential uh, uh, team abroad that's uh, at a good level, he's going to leave a hole in your uh, in that one spot, scrum half, fly half, uh, you know, uh, prop, whatever. So uh, having a couple of dollars put on the side to uh, to bring in somebody from another country to fill that spot. Might not be a you know a bad idea you know so uh, that actually might work, and and even at a club level say in Australia uh, there's a great nursery of Parramatta a club that almost folded this year, and for a hundred years it's been involved in the Sydney Premiership, um, but if you cut that supply off they go and play another code of football so it, we're not I don't think people are asking for much money it's just to keep that supply chain going because you really can't cut off that supply chain just to save a few bucks at the other end of the elite game, can you, Fiori? No, it's, uh, you know, there's got to be a give and take somewhere, and, uh, and you fill the position, so, and, you know, um, I, I think it could work that way. Alright, gentlemen, we'll wind it up here. It's been a great discussion without Bruce McLean tonight, uh, and without the life, the boys from life who just brushed our phone call, our Skype call, too good for the panel, so let's hope they get trounced in the uh, game of the weekend. So. I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best to see that that happens. <laughs> because, uh, oh well, let's just quickly talk about them. We have to. So you're playing, and uh, Paul, you're playing against them. Uh, they got to travel to uh, to the west to take you on. Uh, they are a great outfit, though. Absolutely, they're a great outfit. They have great skills. They have the advantage of being able to. You know, to, as professional as as it comes, in the sense that they can do recovery sessions and 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 monitor their players more than anything. Have them in an environment where they're looking after them. Are they training? You know, all that sort of um, stuff. But that could also be a detriment because if you start training eight nine times a week, and if you're still training eight nine times a week at this point in the season, that can be a problem as well. Um, but the, they. They're the one team, you know, that you know Bruce talked about it going into the semis. Probably wasn't ideally the uh, the team I wanted to be facing would be Life because now you've got uh, 
if if we were to get past them, we've essentially played two finals two weeks in a row, from our opinion. All right, Paul Curler, thank you very much for joining us from the West Coast tonight. Appreciate your time. Good luck on the weekend against life. Cheers, Joe. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, love being on the show and talking rugby with everybody. Oh, we'll have you on very, very soon, of course, and maybe next week. Let's see how it goes. Um, <laughs> Chris Williams from Chris Williams from Boston, thanks for joining us. Well done in your win over Denver. Just a fantastic result. Good luck against Nyack, against uh, Bruce McLean and Fiori's boys. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's a big year for the club, our 50th anniversary, and we're just kind of happy to to uh, you know be part of uh, the semifinals at this point. And we you know we're, we're confident that we can uh, put a good showing in uh, next weekend. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Chris and Fiore Screnchy. Thank you for joining us uh, at late notice from Nyack, uh, filling in for Bruce McLean, who's uh, having to deal with a with a personal tragedy there. Uh, but good luck, uh, Nyack. Obviously, a professional outfit as well. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And that is it for Rugger Matrix, episode 21. Uh, thanks to Eddie O'Sullivan last week. Uh, we, we will follow up on that in detail because uh, it was quite a heated discussion towards the end, and there is some uh, feedback from that we must get to. But today wasn't the appropriate time to do it, so we'll cover that in future episodes with Bruce McLean. And don't worry, Eddie will be coming back on the show. That is Rugger Matrix USA 21. Good luck to our semi-finalists in the Super League for 2010.